Welcome, everybody, to the Mad Valley Lodge podcast. It is shameless promotion week as I promote our band. Um, we've got a record coming out Friday the 25th. We have a release show Monday the 28th at the Family Wash. There's links all over the Facebook. Um, so we thought we'd release a podcast with Adam Taylor, who helped us uh, engineer the record. He helped put us together. He was our connection with the Sound Emporium. Um, really made a lot of this possible, along with dozens of other people. Um, and then maybe tomorrow, as a special treat, we'll have another podcast come out, too, leading up to the release. Um, either way, here's some stuff Adam's worked on in the past. This is Nefesh Mountains, Millie's Waltz. <laughs>
All right, so speaking of that, you you mentioned uh, high school and college, and Nick right. and I were discussing earlier. Yeah, we got together earlier, and it was like, we're going to talk to Adam. Uh, we Okay, so for anybody that's listening, we just made a record with Adam. This is Adam Taylor. Um, he, hey, everybody. We did a record with him over at the Sound Emporium. Um, it was really, really fun, so we thought we'll have him on the podcast. And we don't know enough about you is what I'm getting at. Okay. What, what happened? How did we go? I mean, this has been a long process for us to go from start, to, you know, you signing on to be a part of the, the thing, and then right. us completing the thing up until we just got the CDs this week, so it's finally done. Nice, which I still don't have one. Oh, so there's, we there's just one. got them yesterday. Yeah, awesome. we just got them yesterday. There's oh, one sure, here for sure. you. Um, but how did we get this far without, like, I don't even know what town you were born in. What happened? I feel like I've been a bad friend as well. I guess what I'm getting at. No, no, no. It's okay. Um, so I've got a weird, confusing story. I was born in St. Louis, Missouri. Oh, I know where that is. Um, yeah, yeah. So, 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 so yeah. Missouri. Missouri. Missouri yeah, Missouri. I was yeah. say, that's been our weird tie this whole time. Also the loudest that... anybody's ever chanted for the state Missouri right yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, Were you born in um, Missouri or St. Louis, St. Louis? Or... I was born in St. Louis, like, okay. proper. Yeah. Not East St. Louis. Um, and then grew up in, I lived the first nine years of my life in, uh, actually in Ferguson. Oh, like, okay. Yeah. So I've, Just outside St. Louis. Just outside of St. Louis. So yeah. I mean, like, right, you know, kind of on the edge of it. I think I was born in the city, but. Like, yeah. Yeah. Right. Um. So, which is not a great part of town. No, it's not. It's, um, and as we've heard in recent years, there's been some racial tensions there and sure. stuff. And so it's, um, not quite like growing up in Memphis sort of thing, <laughs> but like. It's a dangerous, it had some stuff going on. Yeah. Like, so anyway, but my dad was a computer programmer. Mm-hmm. And so in the nineties, there was a couple of like corporate merger things that happened. So we got shifted around a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I lived in North Carolina for a while then back to Missouri for a while, and then I ended up being stuck in Iowa for like way too long. Iowa, I knew Iowa was yeah. a part of it. Yeah, but so, so I was so like when I was a freshman in high school, I ended oh, okay. up in Newton, Iowa, home of Maytag washers and dryers. Newton, I don't yeah. even. What part of the state is that? It's in, in the damn middle of the state. Right in the so middle. So it's right in the Yikes. middle of uh, Interstate 80. It's one of those places people just drive through all the time. But isn't every there. point in Iowa kind of the middle of <laughs> Iowa? It, it's. More or less, <laughs> like it's if you went fifty miles down the road, you wouldn't, wouldn't. know much of a difference. Yeah. yeah. So but you went to high school in Newton. I went Iowa. to high school in Newton, Iowa. Yikes. Yeah. Did you go to college in Iowa? I did. Yikes. Um, which is rough at a couple of different places. I mean, I Iowa was great. Don't get me wrong, but lovely you know. people. Yeah. Like great it's educational system. Not around system, anything. Actually, there's not much to do. There's. There was a surprisingly supportive punk rock scene. Oh, okay. actually, not bad for metal stuff there too. Really? Um, he Smith looked right were... in my eyes when he said that. I want everybody to know <laughs> he looked yeah, right no, at no, me. No, no, yeah. no. You know, this is Brother. this is really not doing a whole lot for our like Americana. You know, I talked about I talked about metal for so long if... with Josh Preston on his podcast. I regretted okay. it, so I don't worry. I was it's just saying, I'm getting ready to launch into like the parties that you know Slipknot was at with us and stuff. And, like, all, <laughs> it's which part is of it, dude. Very real. Like, yeah. The. Uh, Oh, yeah, because I guess Slipknot was... Okay, everybody that's not a fan, just tune out for like five seconds. <laughs> Slipknot was an Iowa-based band, and that, that was crazy because they became is like, like one of the Iowa biggest bands. Iowa Pride was like a thing with Slipknot. Like, yeah, the record's like called shirts. 515, which was the area code. Yeah. And so like the chant wow. in Iowa for like, at like punk and metal shows was everybody would do the 515 thing, where it's, you know, all fingers out, middle finger, all yeah. fingers, you know, so 515. Yeah. And Which we is don't the hear about them. Thing ever. We don't hear about them anymore. But they are huge. They are still like selling out these huge. They're 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 it's all like, over. Yeah, go to Brazil or something. And, they they sell know. out like these huge stadiums. It's crazy. Yeah. I have no idea. I don't care enough. I guess I it's, will. You know, it's all. There's a time in my life where I thought that was important. I'm sure it was. 
<laughs> but that was a weird one because like that was the first time I was working at a record store at, in high school and um, like the first Slipknot album came out and it was one of those things where it's like Ross Robinson produced this and Terry Date mixed it and it's like those Terry are like Date from real guys uh, Terry Date what um, is so that? Terry Date's another record producer um, engineer guy did he work with Pantera? Um, this is going to get yeah. really in the list. <laughs> I was going to say, this is super. Terry Date did Far Beyond Driven. Terry Date did Far Beyond Driven. He also did. He did Vulgar, actually. Vulgar Display of Power and, and Far Beyond Driven. Driven. Yeah. And Far Beyond Driven um, was the num- the first metal record that ever went to number one in the Billboard one. charts. Yeah. So Terry Date's a very, very so successful. Let me do this full out film and some like, you yeah. Know, <gasps> yeah. Fucking yeah. record came out number one. Yeah. Put all that <laughs> commercial bullshit in its place. Oh, yeah. Phil and Selma, what a wreck. <laughs> he's the most, like, looking back on all of that, he's just, it's all the worst. You're a kid, you don't know, and then you grow up and you read the lyrics. And you're just like, this is very All of that Trumpy. stuff is terrible. Actually, I think that was the thing that attracted me to metal music in my youth was because yeah. I was a guitar player. And, like, I loved the shreddy stuff. Like, technical. that was it's so technical. technical. Yeah. But, like, you know, when everybody's, oh, oh, blah, 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 like, yeah. you can't understand any of the words. Yeah. So you don't have to pay attention to it. Sure. So it's like, I can just <laughs> exactly. focus on, yep. like, seriously, you know, technical music sort yep. of thing and I don't have to pay attention to anything they're saying every metal fan makes that trade they're all just like waiting for the singer to stop just right. please stop this is one of the things of like if you listen to any of that stuff and try to take it seriously it's a it's a complete yeah. you joke. can't understand what they're saying and then when you read what they're saying you don't understand why they're saying it's it it's terrible <laughs> like I know like you know um Headbangers Ball was like the thing on MTV. Fucking yeah, I remember yeah. that. Yeah. For like one hour a week, sort of thing, you actually get a shot at the music that you want to hear. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing the Morbid Angel video for uh, um, something off a of Covenant. Um, Rapture. Rapture is the name of the tune. Okay, I'm not familiar with Morbid Angel. This is like way deeper. I want no, no, no. Keep going. I'm in. I'm with you. I just don't um, want a fake metal fan because they'll find no, out. No, no, no. It's okay. They'll find um, out. But it's just this insanely fast technical sort of thing. Watch yeah. the video for that at some point. It was yeah. one of those that ended up on Beavis and Butthead. I think that's the only way people know that. <laughs> sure. Because um, that one and God of Emptiness were on that same record. I see. And that one from Beavis and Butthead, people will know. Um, but there's something so attractive about, especially you just said watch the video. Yeah. I found myself when, I was, when I'd get into different, and literally, like I've talked about it, I won't go into it, but I'm not into metal as a genre. There's just a few bands that they're guitar players and drummers and bass players. I'm just like, how the fuck are these people playing? They're right. so crazy. You respect these people like it's... for what they've accomplished musically. But I find myself watching the, there's a, there's a video online you can look at, and it's Slayer just auditioning a guy. And it's Slayer music, and it's like the fastest, right. heaviest. Like it's like you you have to be able to run a marathon to play the drums because it's right. double bass the entire time. The guy's just drenched in sweat, and it's just some poor motherfucker who got the audition, and they sent him the record. Who knows how many days before, and he goes out there and he just has to play with them. And you right. watch this guy like have a stroke in front of these people, and you're just like, this is the most entertaining music video I've seen in a long time. <laughs> Way better than the song was, I guarantee you. Sure. Way better than the song. Watching this motherfucker just <laughs> try to keep up. Oh, but it's. All of that stuff is just was just a joke, and, yes. it's, and especially in the '90s, it was hilarious because there was the whole PRMC thing of like serious censorship sh- things that were going on. Sure, and that stuff it, it's pointless. It's completely meaningless. Yeah, and for people to get all butthurt about it, it's yeah. just people were releasing records just to say things that they knew because if you had a parental advisory sticker at a certain point, it sold like crazy. They were right. like, "Oh, okay, this is this is bad. I shouldn't be buying this. Let me right. go get that shit." And Nowadays, I couldn't tell you if you yeah, go on iTunes, it'll say explicit next to it or whatever. But other than that, I don't know of any 
right. censorship Because, yeah, like, is Cannibal Corpse, like, you know, you can find that stuff anywhere you want now. Anywhere you want. And for the longest time, that was, like, a huge deal. Like, Only Cannibal records, Corpse records had been banned. And, and it had to be wrapped shit. in, you know, the stuff that they sold, like, Hustler magazines in. Yeah, can't, so we like, know kids so can sneak them out. they could see the front of it. The devil will get in you, though. Just such a joke. So I would I don't know how much of my origin story just got tied up talking about Cannibal Corpse. No, dude, Cannibal Corpse is good. So Iowa created this musical monster. Yeah, so Iowa is a very confusing place because there's just not a whole lot to do. And interestingly enough, that sort of angsty feeling that gets caught up in all of that yeah. very much suits the punk metal scene like beautifully. Sure. So there was a lot of that around. So we there's went a lot of aggression and a lot of boredom. Tons of it. Yeah. And there's and like th- there's not a huge place for people to go hang out. If a metal show comes to town, everyone's that's, there. That's the kind of thing you got to say. Go all do. of us would drive. We would have been there at 14 too. If that was the only music going on, I'd have been there for sure. So, so yeah. So you were a metalhead when you grew up, uh, growing up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I t- very much so. Like I yeah. finally come to terms with the fact I can admit <laughs> yeah. that. Uh, yeah. I had to go, I had to see a therapist. Basically. He was the same it's, way. It's not <laughs> something I like to ever talk about. So it's very odd to like, just, I see that's the difference. I love talking about it. People are like you're into metal. I'm like, no, but I, you know, it's like four yeah, bands. It's like say, four bands. It doesn't count. The, um, I was going to say, I still, like, my first concert that I ever went to go see was uh, a band called Carcass. Yeah. And I adored Carcass. It was on the Hard Work Tour. Like, Heart so work. I saw I Carcass on the Hard Work Tour. Were they headlining it? They were. It was okay, Carcass cool. and Life of Agony, um, which there's an interesting story that ties into all of that one. But I was 13. This was actually when we were still in North Carolina. It was, like, right before I moved. And it's, like, it was just the coolest thing ever mm-hmm. of, you know... Got, they, you was know, it like, like a guar show where they hair, spray like, you know, everything? Like no blood, no gimmicks, like yeah. just straightforward, super aggressive, melodic metal stuff. Oh, okay. Um, but, you know, I mean, everybody rocking like long hair down to their waist sort of thing and playing pointy Ibanez guitars. And pointy Ibanez guitars. Long yes. hair? What year was this? This was early 90s. Would have been like okay. 93, 94. Yeah, because by yeah. 96, there was no long hair left. Everybody had cut their hair. We still, uh, well, Iowa was like five years behind. <laughs> yeah, so Missouri's they, 1984 so, right yeah. now. They don't yeah. know. It's, <laughs> um, it, it was, we held on to it for a while there. Yeah. But it, so the interesting tie into all of that. So Life of Agony was the opening act for this. Sure. And the other day I was reading an article in Rolling Stone of like 100 greatest metal albums of all time. Yeah. And uh, Life of Agony's was somewhere in like the 80s. Yeah. Which I, I kind of disagree with anyway. <laughs> But in, in the lyrical, or like in the, the write up of it, it kept talking about her lyrics and her performance. And I was like, I, I don't remember there being a woman in that band. Yeah. That like I was, you know, I was at those shows, you know, sort of thing. It was, I, it was just dudes on stage. Like I remember getting my ass kicked in the mosh pit while there was a dude, you know, yelling at me about fairly emotional stuff. Yeah. Um, but it turns out that the singers had a sex, you know, is now transgendered. Oh, but Sorry, between the show? We're going to get into some terrible sorts of things. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so, in recent years, um, he has transitioned into being a woman. So, they're backdating. So, they now retroactively talk about the lyrics of Life of Agony's records as her talking wow. about serious wow. things. So, good for the magazine for, like, you know, playing Seriously progressive. progressive. Yeah, they're, yeah, yeah, they're being very progressive. <laughs> um, um, but, but, so, very but for you not knowing fans, that there's, like, yeah, you know, for anybody that doesn't know that they had a change. Understand, and it's sure. like, right. No, it, it was, I was a guy. It was, right? it was singing to me about A lot of Googling happened when that article came it, out. It and did. people learned yeah. about something. And hopefully some of them went, okay, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, I know again, a lot of them did not because I've seen metal shows. I was going to say metalheads, yeah. Not, yeah it's no. not, there's a lot of Ted Nugent stuff at a metal show. That's the not thing. Not across the board. Not across the board. Yeah. 
But that's what definitely drove me away from it. First of all, lyrical content drove me away immediately. That was right. as soon as I I started listening to music, it was definitely all the heavy shit mixed with Zeppelin and Sabbath and like you know a fairly healthy diet of, of classic rock. Right. But as soon as I started hanging out with this this guy, and getting well, exposed to you know music that wasn't ne- necessarily as satisfying you know as, as like getting out there and fucking playing really fast and stuff right. but like hey these words are gonna stay in your head for two weeks and you may go crazy like that was a sickness to me to right. go and to, to find a lyricist who wasn't trying to fucking blow you away with his guitar playing wasn't up there there was no gimmicks there's no fucking fire on stage it was just a dude that was like hey I did this and then they sang um that was it. You know, I lost it pretty quick. I, I still enjoy that music. I still listen to it from time to time, and I love learning little songs and stuff, but I don't make those records. There, it's it's an interesting thing that happened with it, and I, I really do think that it was the sort of thing of... There was a, a moment in time of, like, when punk rock had its thing. Sure. Of, like, this, you know, whatever, the CBGB's thing for sure. the American scene. The, sure. You know, it's kind of a huge scene, yeah. The, the early 80s, like, DC hardcore scene of stuff, of, like, you know, Minor Threat being there and all that. Bad Brains, is that Bad the brains. same Oh, my God, yeah, thing? Bad yeah. Brains. Um, who has evolved and done their own thing. But it's very much a, a time capsule of a very specific thing that was going on at a certain point in time. And for whatever reason, in the early 90s, there was a metal thing that happened, and it was great. And that has come and gone. Sure. And it's something that trying to recreate it now doesn't feel right. Mm. It's the same thing that happened to country music in a way where the, the there is a hard rock scene out there and a metal scene now, guys releasing these records and people, you know, making this kind of music. But it's kind of the bro country versions of all that stuff. It's and, it's and very dumb. It's very um or dumbed down at least. Like they're like, Okay, stick to these this guitar sound and these progressions. Right. Do your drops here. Double bass here. It's all very formulaic. It's just now. beyond formulaic, and it's just the lack of sincerity in it shows through. And it's one of those things that seems weird to think about that because it's just people screaming and you know. <laughs> sure, but there was something. There was whatnot. some sincerity but there that, that captured. If your... nothing else, there's an energy in it. I yeah. mean, it's the same thing of you know, I mean, you know, the Grateful Dead playing at the Haight Ashbury, you know, right. the, the '60s sort of thing. It was a specific thing in time that had to be captured sure. there, and trying to do that exact same thing now is completely disingenuous and mm-hmm. it, it feels that way sure um and that's the same th- it's so it's so interesting for me now like looking at music of there's still and i think it comes from my years of listening to metal that i don't necessarily pay attention to lyrics first um, I have the same problem. Which is weird, and it's especially weird making a record with you sort yeah. of thing. Tell me about it. Um, yeah. Because of that. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think there is a sincerity that has to be there in order to feel it. Right. Um, and if that sincerity is there and you feel that in the music, then you're I am opened up and allowed to dig deeper into it to yeah. see what the lyrical content of it sure. is. And then the overall experience comes together. Right. Yeah. Well, everybody's path into it, it, like, I'm very similar to that. Like, I look at the guitar, I look at the, you know, I'm, I'm immediately caught by the music, and then I kind of backpedal through what, what, the, what the thing's about. Right. But it, we'll be sitting there listening to the same song, and our first, the thing that we first say about it is a pretty complete picture, because he's not, like, right. he may not know what key it's in, because he hasn't been listening to that yet, because he's memorizing what the hell this guy's you well, know guy's, person saying? Right. You know what is this about? What is he getting at? What is she getting well, at? That's I the first. Know. Yeah, that's the immediately has always been and forever will be the first thing that I have 
gone towards. And I don't know why that is. That it's a very strange thing. And I'm very much in the minority there. I don't think, I don't think that's well, a usual thing. Because like, I, I mean, that's that's the way country records work. Right. And that's and the audience that likes that. Right. It's it's story songs and it's people. Right. And that's the the focus of it is completely yeah. lyrically based. Yeah. Um, and it's. They like the elements that fit around the song, but that's completely secondary to what's going into it. Right, and that's why I've like somebody like me gravitates towards that sound. You know, it's not necessarily. Con- I mean, like we don't make country records necessarily in any way, but like there's certain aspects of it that I like. Right, you know, the just the aesthetic of it. Um, you know, you know, but like lyrically, like it's funny. It's even when I was young, I would just sit there and in the back seat and whatever pop song was on the Alanis Morissette my mom loved Alanis Morissette you know and she would just like crank that fucking uh, whatever that record was I, Jagged Little Pill Jagged Little Pill yes yeah. um, and I would just listen to her words and I was like damn this is good like it's good it's a good record like you know Especially for when I was like nine or eight or something thing. yeah it's, it's a great it wasn't record, just disposable you know? she's actually talking yeah. about some stuff she's talking yeah. about stuff um you know, whatever. But like stuff that oddly related to Casson as a what nine yeah. year old boy. Well, yeah, I was on the, yeah, but that's just the way it went down. Collective Soul. That was another. That, oh uh, man, yeah. that was another band where I thought like, oh, this is interesting. You know, they kind of split the they kind of split the uh, difference though, because I don't feel like they were talking about a whole bunch of stuff. But like word salad a little bit. In some yeah, of the there was some the word salad stuff in there. But like there was some there was some cool shit. You know. Yeah, that's a Georgia term, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> Georgia, Georgia said it one day, and I was like, "That's yeah." She didn't even yeah. have to explain what it meant. She was talking about something, and she's like, "Oh, it's kind of word salad." And I was like, "Oh, sh- yeah, shit. that makes sense." Okay, yeah. that's what it was. So, anyways, right. yeah, I've always been really like interested. There's just like lyrically, it's like, I mean, yeah, I went through a time where I was just like, "Oh, like," I listened to stuff that was just completely like right. heavy and and i remember casting Guffy disconnected guitar solos on a fucking yeah. sg through a fender deluxe amp i remember I the, yeah see that. this was yeah. a great time <laughs> in our lives it was so much fun mm. but it was like ninth grade i think or Dude, eighth we were grade jamming. we played yeah. we played it you know we played in a band for he left really early on in the band but we played in a band with a bunch of our high school friends and i don't regret any of it it was like the best <laughs> i learned so much you know what i mean like it was really fun but I played a lot of top. We had like thirty songs that were all top, you know, it's, number, you know, classic rock hits and stuff. And it was really cool because you got to play fucking Black Dog in front of a crowd. Yeah. And followed by Voodoo Child. Who? What? I'm fourteen. I'm fifteen years old at the time. Like, who gives a shit? I'm having a great time. That's but great. it had to. We had to change and do other things. And it's it's important as far as learning musical interaction with people. Oh, for and sure. Stuff. And that's the forming bonds with people and how you play that sort of thing and stuff. And it's. I know, so the um, the guy that I was talking about earlier, the Backstreet conversation of, like, musical integrity and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, first band I was ever in, and, like, I had just moved to Iowa. Everybody knew I was the guitar player, like, the new hotshot guy that came to town. So, like, I yeah. went and met the other hotshot guitar player, who was my friend Judd. Um, and so we go to sit down, and so, like, the warm-up song we're going to play is Weezer's Say It Ain't So. Cool. And so, you know, we're all playing the song sort of thing, and then the solo comes, and there's two of us, and both of us jump for the lead. And like just aggressively, and like, and I look at Judd, and it's clear he's not going to back down, and it's his house sort of thing, and I'm the new guy in town, and so it's like, all right, cool. So I jumped back to the rhythm part kind of thing, and like made it through it, but it was still like just weird that like unspoken tension of how that works, um, of the ego thing with it, but it's 
after that, Judd and I like really bonded, and like he's still you know a great friend. Yeah. Sure. Um, those musical, those are musical lessons. You got. But oh, it's shit. A, it's the weird sort of very human element of music that you don't necessarily understand and doesn't get thought through. But like playing you know terrible Weezer songs, like mm-hmm. you learn that kind of stuff, and, like how to interact with other people. And, like, Absolutely. I feel like I learned teamwork like, better from music than I did because I played totally. a shitload of sports growing up until right. about you know ninth grade when music became the main thing. But like right. I played a shitload of sports and. It's not that they don't sports don't teach people teamwork. They obviously do all the time. It's great, but for me, that wasn't a good way of competition. Isn't building teamwork for myself. I needed some. I needed right. a group effort that if we all don't succeed together, we all fail together. Um, that made sense to me. Not like we lose the game. I'm like, so who gives a shit? I'm never gonna play. <laughs> like, geez, right. I don't care about losing a game. <laughs> but I did care if we sang out of tune. That really bothered me. So I had to make sure I fucking was there that to help. There. I gotta sing my note right because if we sing out, if I fuck this up, you know, like that's what I cared about. <laughs> Just making sure I could do it with the guys. You know, like can yeah, we get this done? Right. It's in. Yeah. All of that stuff is neat. It's just. The absence of that is more the thing that's interesting. Like every now and again, when you play, try to play music with people, and it's just not there. And it's right. Like, oh, there's no connection. Yeah. Where it's just where it's just clearly just not meshing up. Right. And even with people that are great, where it's like you know I've played with some folks that like really fantastic, but it's like that I even really enjoy as people. Sure. But musically, the bond. There's is just, just no not connection, there and you yeah. just can't do it. Um, that is weird. It's very strange. Yeah. Like, There's rhythm. Everybody's on their own rhythm, and, and it's, yeah, it's it's funny how people just don't sync up. Even if, yeah, both parties are extremely good at what they do, and everything's going well. Like, it doesn't matter. Totally it does, maybe it doesn't matter. It's right. like, And it's, I mean, I think that goes into, like, all kinds of different areas of life. And it's, like, when we first sat down and started talking about making a record together, I very, you know, tried to express it to you guys. It's like, hey, it's like you're going to make a good record no matter where you go, who you do it with. It's like you write good songs, you perform them well. It's like, it's going to be really hard to screw that up. Um, but thank you. It's yeah. yeah no problem. <laughs> I still don't believe you. It's done. And I still don't believe you, but it's okay. Um, and it's like, and I would love to make that record with you, but I may not be the right fit for what you guys are looking for. And it's like, for whatever reason, if like personality wise, we just don't communicate the same way. I will not take offense to it. Sure. Like, cause there is, it's, it's an important thing and it's very much that whole feel of, I mean, going back to being in high school and who's going to take the guitar solo kind of thing. Right. That there has to just be those sort of unspoken sorts of things of a trust that's going to happen of, you know, I'm going to back down your, or, you know, or allow you to do what you need to just do. Just mutual and, compromise. Yeah. If everybody can just start compromising right. on things and things that they feel comfortable compromising on. I was gonna say, it's not even necessarily compromise. I was like, like, cause that's maybe the wrong. I yeah, that does sound more derogatory than I meant it. To right. Say. Yeah. But the idea that there's just the unspoken stuff that happens that lets everybody communicate the way they do. Is trust some, a better word? Trust is a, a it's great a vibration. Word for it. There's a thing that there you is. feel. Yeah. And there's yeah. There's been people. It's you know, cause I mean, I think of myself as a competent engineer. It's like I can push buttons sure. for anybody. Um. But there's certain people that I've worked with where, like, when you're doing it, it's like, we are just not clicking. And, like, it just feels like it's fighting the whole day. And, like, it's a different language. And, like, we're just not fading. And then there's other people that, like, there's not a time in the day where it feels like things are going wrong. Right. That it's just everything floats through and it's fine. And it is. It's just about the relationships that happen as you do it. It's, it was a special thing for us because we've never made one in this fashion before. I mean, the first right. first record we ever did, it was a very nice setup as far as equipment go, goes. Some guy's basement. 
Uh, actually, holy shit. All of the records were made in basements Three, until we yeah. moved to Boston. Yeah. And then in Boston, we cut two records in the house. And um, we came here and cut a record in another basement. Oh, my God, basements. <laughs> um, and all of them were great learning experiences. But this is right. the first one that we really um, – so the first day we get in there, everything's kind of already set up in a way like most of the guitar stuff. And I look at the way Caston's mics are arranged. I think I've already maybe told you this once. And the way his mics are arranged to me looked like – I was like, how is this going to, like, because I'd never done this. So there's all this anxiety about how is this going to go? How are we going to capture all of these live musicians in this one room? And yeah, it's not going to. a huge amount of trust walking into Seriously, that. Seriously. Like, <laughs> how are we going to get away Honestly, with this? Honestly, you got, it's one of those things of, like, if I was a dude driving a van down the street, yeah. you know, I was like, hey, you get in the van. Yeah. Like, you guys got in the van. Yeah, we got in the van. <laughs> and so it just turned out I was a decent dude. But it like, was the first, it was the, yeah, it turns out you didn't murder us, which is great. But the very first day, I looked at these microphones and I thought, how is this, you know, how does that work? I don't see, how, you know, I'm just nervous. And I'm looking at my mics and I'm just like, I've never done this. This is not the, for 10 minutes. And then Caston walks up to his microphone and he kind of settles in like he's going to play. And we're both kind of looking at the way the mics are set up. We're like, well, we might need to move this or do that. You know, like, I just thought you threw him up. And when right. he leans over and he goes to play and he starts singing, it's like you measured it. <laughs> it's like, it was like if you put a dowel rod on the mic, it would hit him right in the mouth. And the, it was like you measured it. And then I walked up to mine, which was set up completely different. And I like realized you taught me how I stand. I have actually pretty shitty posture when I play guitar, I think, because I was like, I got comfortable and I was like, oh my God. So as soon as I was like, okay, just stop. This guy, he fucking, he's paid attention to what's going on. He wouldn't be doing any of this if he didn't think, you know, if he wasn't into it. Well, you'd come to see us live you a come, couple Yeah, times. you came to right. see us live. And times. saw what the, how everybody was on stage and felt, and how it felt, you know. And when, I think when we talked about doing it live, right. I think that was your whole viewpoint of like, oh, well, we'll just set it up that way. Very yeah. much. And it's interplay of what's going to happen in the room. As sure. far as, I mean, from an acoustic standpoint and then from an emotional standpoint of how it's going to interact of, you know, I don't know, I mean, if there's pictures of this somewhere kind of thing of, you know, drums were set up across the room and partially that's just for the um, the actual isolation between it sort of thing. Right. Of you facing directly into that so we can get the rejection from the backside of it. And I promise I won't go super No, I want you to because it was, I think we got I was away talking with something crazy. Earlier, yeah. Like earlier, you know, that like, you know, I'm sure there's a subsect of people that are super interested in like, sure. you know, we talked about metal for a while. Please talk about something. Yeah. Say, yes. Please. Between metal and engineering, this <laughs> is going to be great. That's for no, but this will be great. This will make up for the um, metal. Sorry about this whole nonsense. But the idea that, you know, the focus of this record was vocal. Right. Like, I mean, just completely all the way around. So the room started with vocal and then builds with the relationships the rest of the way around, like in the way the room was set up so that that sort of an emotional wave of stuff happens and all feeds back into the same way sort of thing. Yeah. Um, which seems a little bit overly philosophical for it. But because I mean, partially it's also just the way the room is set up, you know, the vocal rejection from the drums. That way I get a clean vocal that it's I have you facing directly into it so that the back of the microphone can block as much of the drum right. sound out as it can. Because um, I mean, that's we everyone live in the room together. Like, yeah, I mean, if if you were to do this and didn't have the time constraints that we had, we may have done a few things differently, you know, who knows? Probably well, not. I hope not. <laughs> like. I, it, it's one of those I don't I don't think it would have yielded the same result if right. we would I have, definitely yeah. agree that if we would have done it not in the same room it would have been a completely different record because each song each take was just a, its own 
thing completely. Right. Well, what's funny is John John Wood, who played drums, yes. uh, was uh, was kind of taken aback by the fact that we were going to use the vocal the vocals that I was singing yeah. in the same room with mm-hmm. the drums and all of our vocals were being used mm-hmm. and all of that. The, the and drums I, weren't isolated in, literally in, out of the room. Yeah. never made me think tw- that I never had any weird thoughts ignorance about it. Ignorance is bliss. Because we don't is know. Bliss. Yeah, yeah, we didn't know. It was great. We got away with it. I have it. no idea that that's a thing. Like, I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know that that was Records a, a are not huge made that way deal. Now. Yeah. yeah. Like, so, I mean, that's... it's just funny to me because, like, I feel like that was the way to do it. That was the way to do it for us. You killed it with the way you set it up and everything. Like and that. so far, and, and I, you know, no names or anything, but people that have heard the record, I right. I have told two individual people. I told them it was a live record, and they didn't know. Like, so a couple right. people that have even worked with it didn't know that it was a live record. I and mean, we're not obviously yeah. going to push it as like this is us live. It's a record that we did live. I guess is a better way. To and I, I think it was. There's two ways of thinking of that, and because I mean, there's also the sort of the same mentality of like people that hype analog recording, yeah, um, which is a, another very lengthy conversation, sure, um, and a deserving one. Like I mean, it's there's sure. there's merit within it, but there's a lot of people that talk about that as a, as a bragging tool and not necessarily for the right reasons, yeah. Um, and doing a live record is the same sort of thing. Of it's it's more a marketing campaign than it is being done to capture what was happening in the room yeah um but i also feel like to get the songs the way that we wrote them and the way that we put them all together right it's never we didn't start with we 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 started with we will record this live so it kind of was written that way i mean it was based that way and it just it felt like the right thing to do like it's one of those if we would have broken everybody into different rooms i don't think it would have felt the same way that it did so it just it seemed like it was the right call i mean if the right call would have been to do it in separate rooms, then do it that way. Sure. Like, and there's plenty of times where that is the right thing to do. I bet we can hear the train right I was now. I saying, there's the train. There's the train. I love it. That's the best thing about living in this house is that train. The very first night I slept here, um, I didn't have a bed. So I slept on this little love seat, and I'm 6'2", so I was hanging off all sides. It was not very comfortable, <laughs> but, you know, I had a soft place to sleep, no complaining. Right. And the train, I was like, oh, my God. I was sleeping in the front of the house. I said, how the hell am I going to, like, sleep ever? Second night, heard that train, went right to sleep. And it's been the same ever since. Sometimes I'll wake up at like 3 a.m. when the train gets real squeaky, and then I'll remember we have a train. And I just love it. I love it. <laughs> we lived in Boston for so long with paper-thin windows, and you could hear your neighbors yeah, cooking rice. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I said cooking rice. I mean they were doing other things. but I'd you hear could, a vibration up top, and yeah. you'd be like, oh, my God. You somebody's could. phone's on the fucking floor. And it, you was could a, just, it was amazing. Oh. You could hear cell phones vibrate upstairs. Like the vibration of the iPhone, which is notoriously aggressive. Yeah, I think. All right, so I don't know what I missed. Some stuff. Cassin left. Did you guys even notice? I was out, and I'm back now. Yeah. Um, Okay, so you're in Iowa. Okay. Oh yeah, back to that. We were off. Yeah, yeah, you're in Iowa. You're a metalhead. You're in high school. You moved around a bunch when you were a kid. I I was the hotshot guitar player in our. (laughs) You're new. Yeah, we left you at Weezer. Right. You're new, and so what? What happens from? Uh, obviously, you do like a lot of you do audio engineering now. I do audio um, engineering. Yeah. Uh, so how did how did we get from the hotshot guitar player to a lot n- of different things? Uh, so the band kind of fell apart in high school, and then there's not really a whole lot to do after that. So because uh, it's because it's Iowa. Um, so I went to college because that's like the thing you're supposed to do in Iowa. Yeah. So I went to the University of Iowa for a couple of years. Um, hated it. Like absolutely hated it. 
It's like, this is stupid. Modern educational system is a complete, you know, fraud. And What did you go for? Uh, I didn't declare anything at first. Okay. Um, and then I was a theater ed major. Which yeah, Whoa. See that hold one on, happening? I'm gonna yep. yeah, hold on, I'm gonna can look. we pa- right. take yeah. a pause? Yeah, real let's quick? turn this off. Actually, gasp. it's over. I'm yeah, yeah right. gasp. Um, so how? Wait, wait a second. And uh, I went to the same acting school as uh, Gene Wilder. So wait, 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 yeah, wait, wait. A, yeah. So you, Gene Wilder went to act. I'm just kidding. No, <laughs> no, of course it is. Tennessee Williams <laughs> went there. The Iowa Writers Workshop. The whole deal. So yeah. Iowa, oh, so they have a good program. Great program. Oh, you went to Iowa University. Didn't declare anything. Yeah. For a little while, and then. Went into theater education? Because I wanted to teach. Like, okay. And so my, my thought process behind it was um, people that normally do theater will want to be involved in it. And, like, if I just taught English or something, like, it's miserable. Like, you've Did got you a bunch do of... theater as a kid? Not much. A little bit okay. here and there. Like, I mean, I did it in high school. Some, and, like, I just I played guitar for everything. So, I mean, I was involved in every musical that came through in that. Gotcha. But musical theater, not my sort of thing. And thank God all of that fell through. Um, so it didn't There was a couple out. adventures in between. It did not work out. No. Okay. Um, did you I, I try quit... out for the Backstreet Boys? Or... I did not. Is that what happened? <laughs> no, like, did it not go well? And you're like, theater's it, it over. Well, and it's like, the I'm, theater's dead to me. I'm done dancing um, and singing. So you, no. went, you went... So I went to Iowa for a couple years. Then I got angry at that and decided I needed to make things with my hands. So mm. I went to Millwork School for a while. Oh, really? Um, to learn to make cabinets. Where? And uh, in Des Moines. Um, that's, that's, you could have guessed that, I guess. Yeah. Makes um, sense. So I went to Des Moines, learned a lot about working with uh, various you know pieces of woodworking equipment and stuff. Um, also got tired with that, decided I should probably go back to school and just get a bachelor's in something. So I went to the University of Northern Iowa for a couple of years, ended up getting a degree in communications just at random, like to be done with school. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, um paid for it by working in a mill running a molder which um and i still have all of my fingers which is like yeah, which is the most say. ron swanson a, thing a, i've heard a, all day a serious accomplishment in the woodworking industry is to have all 10 fingers yeah um, wow. which uh so that was fun so I, yeah i ran a weinig you know six head molder for quite a while and nine thousand linear board feet a day of rails Holy itself shit. for the doors like nine thousand board feet a day jesus that's, that's, that's yeah it's that's not fun lot. that's that that is not fun work I'm so glad I know what a board foot is. Yeah, so that's what you were doing. I was doing that as I was in as college. you were going. Yeah, for the second time. Yes. Okay. Um, then after that, I went to work for Target for a while. Worked in warehouses there, and was going oh. into the uh, management with Target. Mm. Um, Nick's been there. Is, I've been. Yeah, I yeah, did that's, that. that's I great. Did that. You know. Oh, fast, God, fun, really? and friendly. Oh, fast, fun, and friendly, dude. Got to keep um, that vibe spirit yeah. or whatever they say. It's... So wait, when did you learn how to do this audio So stuff? I was working for Target, and I was still young enough that it was like, okay, it's like I don't have like a family or any real responsibilities. What age is this, by the way? Where are we in your age? Uh, so we're early 20s. Early tw- early 20s? My God, you early worked 20s. in a woodmill and like... <laughs> Yeah, it's, I was rough, man. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta get by. That. By the, the, the um, by, the tell of your story, you started working in this woodmill when you were like what sixteen on your seventeenth birthday, maybe or something. Yeah. Uh, no, no, it was second time through college. Oh god. Yeah, was, but how yeah. old were you there? I've Six. Had like what was so this? many jobs, okay. so many terrible things. My very first job, because I was I wasn't old enough to work at Burger King yet. I sold accidental death and dismemberment insurance. Hmm. Uh, cold calls. 
just yikes it, it was that was rough that was beyond rough Oof. so um, so you went from cold calling about accidental death insurance which i can only imagine send me one of the scripts if you have it still oh. but then you're at target and you find what do you you so run across I'm, I'm a soundboard or something like no, no no i'm i'm working at target and like there's in the warehousing side of it and like one day i took an order picker which is like this big machine that you ride to pull boxes out of things um like to the back of the warehouse and like up to the top. And it's just like football field after football field of just boxes and boxes and boxes. Yeah. And it's like, none of this means anything. It's like, this is all useless crap. Like there's not a single item in this place that is necessary for human life. It's like, and we're devoting our lives to shuffling crap around for, you know, bored housewives. Yes. Um, so it's like, I, I'm going to go try music. And so I went to school for audio engineering in Florida. Um, got, a, what they called a degree in a year there sort of thing. Oh, yeah. And then came to Nashville and have been here for about 11 years now. So you've been here for 11 and, years. Yeah. Okay. And now we're getting into the meat of this. Now we're getting into this. Is yeah, where this it's all is where it together. gets Right, weird. okay. Yeah. So what was your first music gig? Out. I mean, obviously you've played in bands. You're, you're a great guitar player. You've played in tons of bands around town. But like, what was your first industry gig? So my first, so this was crazy. I managed to shake a couple of the right hands along the way sort of thing of I came to town and like had three or four internships lined up with like big studios here in town. Sure. Um, and ended up turning all of those down to go sort of intern with a engineer here in town named Matt McClure. Um, he's a great guy and did wonders for me um, because I knew nothing. Like, I mean, really was just completely cold coming into it. And Matt was like, you can come watch me work and then eventually I watched him for long enough and then he would let me do edits and things for him at night. Um, through Matt, I met a guy named Kyle Ford who introduced me to Juanita Copeland at Sound Emporium. Okay. And um, and how, how long ago was that? Uh, that was literally within like six weeks of moving to Nashville. Shit. So 11 years ago. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, oh, wow. That, like, I had moved here, and, like, I was ready. I actually had filled out the application to go deliver pizzas for Papa John's. Yeah. Like, I had the application sitting in my car when Kyle called me and was like, hey, like, go talk to Juanita. They need somebody at Sound Emporium. And so I printed out a resume and went up there and got hired, like, two days later. Um, which, strangely enough, the only reason I got hired at Sound Emporium at the time, Matt Andrews was the chief engineer there. And they got stacks of resumes of people that were much more qualified on the audio side of things. But the last job experiences I had were working in a warehouse and running a Weinig six-head molder. And so Matt saw that and was like, that dude probably knows how to fix shit. <laughs> <laughs> they hired you as an audio engineer slash handyman? The, the whole reason was like, you know, I mean, the music industry was kind of starting to go down and there were some rough times around the studio. And they needed somebody that could unclog toilets and could, you know, climb in a ceiling and fix something that was broken. Fuck. And audio guys are bad at that. Like, for, I mean, yeah. a lot of them are. Like, nobody understands that sort of thing. It's like, this is some kid from Iowa that is probably pretty handy with stuff. We could use him for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And so that's exactly what they did was I got to work the front desk and, you know, I stayed there stupid late at night and, like, when it snowed, I was the guy that shoveled the snow off the roof and, you know, Shit. I unclogged toilets and, you know, every other wow. thing, cleaned the buildings. And, um, it's a lovely building. It's a beautiful building. Yeah. But hand in hand with that, within a couple of weeks of being there, I think it was maybe two weeks in, 
um, we got free tickets and backstage passes to go see Robert Plant and Alison Krauss. Oh, wow. And so it's like within days of, you know, being in there sort of thing, it's like you just get to go, you know, hang out with T-Bone. and those In guys. a way, that's like an overnight success in that own kind of thing. You just, you get called up, they decide to bring you on because you have a specific set, you're very Liam Neeson, you've got a very specific <laughs> set of skills that they need. Got a very specific set And then they invite you to go see shows that you could never go see in that kind of capacity right. on your own. That's amazing. And then clean their shit out of the toilets. Hey, dude, sure. yeah. whatever. I'm going to be cleaning um, shit anyway. I might as well yeah, be going to that, that shit, <laughs> the other stuff at night. Like, um, let's go. So it's, but through that, got to study you know, a lot of things that come in. It's the beauty of commercial facilities like that is you get to see what other people are doing and learn everything you possibly can from the folks that come through. Yeah. So when do you start um, working um, on audio stuff? I mean, like, when do you like, so do they start sit doing... You down? Yeah, when do they yeah. sit you down with that stuff? Um, so, like, as you do it, a lot of the time in the evenings, like, as you're cleaning the toilets, you're setting the rooms up for the next day. Gotcha. So similar sort of thing, like, kind of the way Nashville operates is most of the time people just want to wall- roll in in the morning of and hit play it's all ready you know it's and ready just to go. go yeah um so in the evenings we go through and set everything up and you learn how stuff works so it's i seriously traced every single wire in that whole building you know climb through ceilings and floors and whatever else you can and you just you learn every piece of gear that you possibly can what can go wrong with it what it sounds like when it's broken um and it's a very team oriented sort of thing so like even if i wasn't working on the sessions the um, my pal Gordon Hammond was one of the engineers that was working there at the time also, so like he would go through and set everything up, and then I would ask him questions on things that was happening, and you just you learn through experience. So that. you're setting up the night before, you're doing all this stuff. Like what at what point do you start running a board? I mean, like how how it's long does that take? It's a weird transition because then you start assisting on sessions. Okay. So the whole deal is that you there's an engineer that's going to be running the show. You're the guy that gets in there the night before and sets everything up. Sure. And so, and then the next morning he comes in, you know, you tell him where everything's run, how it's all working. And then you start, you know, occasionally running pro tools for stuff. And then eventually one day somebody calls in sick and you get thrown in the weed chair. Hmm. Pretty much. Or there's a gig. Was that, that a, was that a scary, or there's a gig that nobody else wants. And right. So they're like, Hey, which one happened to one. you? A uh, gig. Nobody else wants. Yeah. Um, I've worked on some terrible things. Yeah. Leave ours out of this when you describe it. Yeah. So, yeah. So when you but, do start, you start, I mean, we've done, we've, that's my favorite thing about you is this, this weird text message chain that we have of, <laughs> of music that, you know, I, you know, just music that is not listenable necessarily, sure. but it's stuff that happened in oh, our lives and it's fun. Yeah. Th- that kind of stuff's great. But what was the first project there that you got? I mean, obviously, you took the gigs for a while that nobody wanted. Totally. When was the, I can technically be that guy in that room on that gig because I'll show up any day to do this thing. When was that? Um, it's a weird series of stuff. And I don't know that there was ever the moment of like... I'll take out right, the trash right. in that room because I have to be in there. <laughs> yeah, like, that's like, what I'm talking about. Um, oh, I'm trying to like... I know. I'm putting you on the spot here. I know. It's so curious. hard. And it, it is weird because there's... The first time that you sat down in a room that you had a responsibility that was going to end up on the record and you thought to yourself, oh shit, I'm here. I'm doing something I love doing. There's, I mean, it's weird because there's even taking out the trash in the studio. It's hard not to have a reverence for the place. Sure. That it's like, I mean, as tired and as miserable as like that kind of work can be, it's it's still important. 
and I'm trying and I derailed the whole thing. No, no, no. I, it's I okay. just did. I it's just, threw it's too so, much of a question. It's so weird because I don't, I don't, as you're doing it, I don't know that you think about so it. So your mindset wasn't, and, I need to do this to be successful. I need to record with this person. It was literally like, holy shit, I'm here and I'll do whatever they say. And I can't believe I get to do this. Pretty much. That's amazing. That's a great, it just, that's amazing. I mean, I, I consciously remember having the thoughts like just working the front desk that it's like, I never thought I would make it this far. How Iowa is that? Oh, yeah. boy, look where I'm at. Answering the phones. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, like, answering the phones. But, I mean, it is. It's one of those where, like, the first time, you know, somebody that you've, you know, had a deep respect for walks sure. in the door. It's like, wow, well, okay. Yeah. That's, I mean, I'm where I want to cool. be. This is yeah. great. Yeah, I'm happy here. Um, it's, it's really, it's interesting, like, how that stuff happens. Sure. But, I mean, within that, the same struggles that everybody else sure. has. Sure, sure. But it's just trying to get a feel for what your process was there because I recording there, me and him stepping into that with our, with our really good friends and right. like doing something we'd worked so hard on. You look around and like, you're like, Oh shit, they have co-. you look excited about everything. You're like, right. the walls are this color. I can't it believe really this cool. place. It's a special building. Right. The, so I mean like as your process goes through. So like for years, I, um, I continued working with Matt McClure on stuff and we used to do a ton of songwriter demos. Um, so it's kind of the way the country thing works. It's publishing companies that employ writers. Writers come in, record demos of their songs. Then those demos get shopped to artists who will then possibly, you know, record the song, put them on their record. Yeah. Um, so when you're doing these songwriting demo sessions, you have to get five songs every three hours. Fuck. Um, and so it's Matt and I would book a room for, you know, three days in a row a lot of the time. And you're recording five songs every three hours. And you do three of those back to back. So it's, it's referred to as a triple on unions you know schedules so it's a 10 to 1 and then 2 to 5 and then 6 to 9 and so 15 songs a day so we'd record 45 songs in three days and then work through those you know on the back end of stuff like that's i mean that's a month's worth of work like you go through you know is that it's is that uh is there is there studio musicians there so that's rocking it out or like i mean that's all the session players are there yeah and some Um, cat with a some songs comes in and says I got three yeah so he's whatever. like I got five songs about tractors every one of them is going to be a hit um, <laughs> he's probably we... not wrong god damn it <laughs> yeah no that's, that's yeah. <laughs> so wait but that's how this is going this so that's how that's going five so, I mean, songs in three so that's hours. what I was talking about like when you we talk about like wanting to be able to record when it goes down so I would go into the studio the night before set everything up and then we come in the next morning you downbeat at 10 o'clock and everything has to work and it's a seven-person live band, and there is no downtime. And there is no, I mean, so it's, I don't leave the chair the whole day. And I, so I run Pro Tools for Matt in those sessions. And you get fast. You get really fast. Yeah, just the repetition alone. I was going to say. The shortcuts you develop. I mean, so all of that. And you learn um, the song structure. Like, that's the big thing that comes out of those demo sessions, is they're crafting the song that's going to, because, like, once it gets to you know, whoever's going to sing the tractor song eventually. Um, they really don't change a whole lot about the song structure of stuff. Right. So, I mean, it's, we're rearranging and writing songs on the, on the, on the fly 
as it goes down, and that song structure largely sticks. Like, well, pop song structure specifically, right? I mean, like, I mean, to well, a I mean, certain it's, degree, it's country but, like, song stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, yeah. certain songs are more formulaic than the others. Like, whatever. you know, verse, chorus, turn, verse, chorus, you know, right, bridge, solo, yeah. you know, whatever. So, did any of those it. sessions produce um, fruit? Did, did was it cool to get to sit back? Did you get to hear anything you had worked on on the radio? Totally. Like, it's really weird. Like, especially with those demo sessions that like. You then hear, like, you know, an actual version of a song sort of thing. Like, I remember, like, going back home and being in a gas station. It's like, I, I know this tune. Yeah. <laughs> like, I know I know this song. Oh, I recorded the demo for this yeah, song. He's like, yeah. And it's yeah. like, oh, yeah, I, re- I did the demo for that. Yeah. And I liked it better. <laughs> it's, um, I hope you liked it better. So, yeah. I liked so like, it better. stuff like that was weird. And then eventually, you know, like, we started, you know, kind of moving up the ranks. And then you start working on real records. Sure. And then, you know, you hear a real song on the radio and it's like, that's, yeah, that's weird. Um, like I was traveling, uh, I went out to California last week just like to pick up, as a friend of mine had a trailer out there, like a little Airstream and I towed it back across the country and like I was in a truck stop and like song that I had recorded, like on the radio there. That's like, hilarious. That's, it's still weird. Like yeah. it's still really weird. What's to, that feel like? I mean, is that like a... Well, it's just, it's so weird, especially because you're like dirty and sweaty, you know, because you've been on the road for a couple of days and you walk in and it's like normal people like listening to the radio. And that seems like something that's so unobtainable and like things you would have told the guy at the counter, I recorded this. He'd be like, yeah, whatever, get out of here. Just completely (laughs) unbelievable. Yeah, I don't believe you. No, seriously. It's like I sat at Ocean Way and recorded that song. (laughs) I mean, that was it. Um, But it, it, it's a weird connection to it sort of thing. Yeah. Um. Because it may not necessarily be – so what I think is super interesting about the way that you do what you do is that you've worked on tons of that stuff, you know, things that, that may make it on the radio, things that may not. Um, you're just kind of doing your job and going in there and, and, and just obviously enjoying the experience. Right. And the um, the level of, you know, responsibility that you have, you obviously enjoy. You, you like this kind of work. Totally. But you also have this charitable side to you that will work on passion projects to the point like you just you just did the Girls Right Nashville record, which right. um, I'm not sure that a lot of people have heard it yet. It's out now. And when you do hear it, it's crazy. But I mean, that's a passion project for sure. That's that's something that, you it's know, all... and you worked the crazy. I mean, you worked crazy hours with us. You worked crazy hours with them. Like you have this passion side of you to recording that is very interesting when you stack it up with everything else that you've done. The but I mean, none of us started playing music to make money. Sure. And if I wanted to make money, I sure as shit wouldn't be engineering <laughs> or producing or whatever you want to call it kind right. of thing. Like there's, there are countless things I could do that would make way more. I mean, like I could go make cabinets again and make way more money sure. than I do engineering. Um, but so if you're doing that, if there's not a passion for it, then why? Sure. Like it's. I know, like, I mean, I tell, like, when they get new assistants at Sound Emporium and stuff, like, and they seem tired and, like, they're not into it sort of thing. It's like, stop doing this. <laughs> like, there's no reason for Oh, especially right off the bat. If you don't dig it. Kind oh, of my thing. God. And it's, and it's insanely long hours, and it is really hard. But if you can't find pleasure in that, then why do it? And with the Girls Right Nashville thing, that was something when I first heard about it. It's like, this absolutely needs to happen. And so it's like, anything I can do to facilitate that, you know, I'm going to do. It's a very um, special thing. And Kasson, you can t- give a, give a blurb. Right. On yeah. So, so yeah, the girls right Nashville thing is, uh, my girlfriend, Georgia English and Jen Starcynic run this program for girls, uh, from ages seven to 17 
in and around Nashville that are songwriters, and it's like a songwriting mentorship program. Um, and they got to record. Uh, I think the Sound Emporium gave them say, a day. I was, yeah, when Juanita, I heard about it, I was like, man, Juanita would love this stuff. Yeah. And so brought Georgia to her, and Juanita being you know the kind of girl power person that sure. she is, was like, yeah, totally got behind the message of the yeah. whole thing. And was super generous and donated a day of time for it. Right, yeah. So they gave, um, the Sound Emporium gave, you know, gave Georgia and, and, and Jen that entire day to record. And so there's a CD and there's How many songs donations. Did you guys do? I think it was nine. Uh, right? We did nine, nine songs, yeah. yeah. Nine, nine songs. songs and one day. The thing sounds incredible. It's, it's insane. <laughs> I used to do 45 songs in a weekend. Yeah. Nine in a day, goddamn. I'm on vacation. Yeah. No, the um, no, it's still a long day. It, well, you were there for how many hours? Uh, I got there at 8.30 in the morning, and Rachel Moore already had things pretty well you know, set up and kind of dialed in. Yeah. She assisted me. Rachel's great, on. yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, I mean, everything was working, but, you know, we just kind of go through and double check and get things dialed in further. And I think we left at 11.30. Yeah. Well, that was specifically, I mean, I wasn't there, but yeah. it sounded like it was... There's just a lot of lot going on. I mean, you got well, a lot nine of different songs with nine different kids, right? A lot of moving parts. Yeah, a lot of moving parts, and, and the whole band was live. I mean, yeah, full band. You know, full band. Those, it yeah. sounds. It really sounds amazing, man. It really. Thank it's incredible. Amazing. It's crazy. Um, we were but, talking. That's why we got on this this whole podcast kick right. was because we were talking after the girls' right. The girls' right show was um, at the Family Wash last Sunday, which was what date? I guess it doesn't it matter. It was the ninth of July. Ninth of July, we went and saw all the girls performed. And I think they played all the songs, and then each mentor that these kids have also played one of their own tunes. Um, and they brought Emma up on stage and nominated. What did they? What did they give you as a title? I became an honorary girl. <laughs> and they um, gave you a little like. So um, I got a princess crown. Yeah, yeah like yeah, a little yeah. tiara thing to oh, wear. Yeah. It was very sweet. Um, but watching all of that come together, we were talking after the show about this that to me selling something like that like coming out and saying like okay fuck it i'll donate a day of my time i just want to do this record with these people okay obviously you're doing this for other reasons than some other people you know not a lot of people would go okay i'll stay up all night like i'll sit there and do all this stuff amongst all the other projects that i have to record because right. you believe in these kids and it's a great time i think that's a super special thing and everybody it's... involved donated i mean jen donated tons of her time george's, george's donated just... days and days like, and days yeah, and I mean, days that's... and days and days and Juanita don't. Everybody just said, "Fuck it, we're gonna do this for these kids," and I think that's crazy awesome. But it's, it's one of those things that I hope we don't lose in Nashville. Yeah. Um, there should be more that, programs like that. For I was sure. just, I mean, not only with that, but like, I mean, there's something I was talking about with the relationship that I had with Matt McClure, of I would not be doing what I'm doing today had he not kind of taken me under his wing and showed me all of the things that he sure. did. Um. Because, I mean, like, I know I had to be frustrating, and there was times where, like, I cost him time and money um, because I didn't know what I was doing. Absolutely. But that guy stuck with me, and, you know, and then we got it down to where it was a well-oiled machine where we came in and could knock out 45 songs in a right. day. Um, in three days. But we have the resources in our community to do that. Like, it's one of those, we have the writing pool, we have, I mean, obviously the studios, all of that sort of thing. And if we don't continue to foster that sort of thing, it will go away. That as the music industry, if there's not the money being made from the writing side of it sort of thing, there's not going to be the continued, you know, the effort has to develop come from somewhere. It does. And 
the fact that that dovetails together with, I mean, such a great mission and like just the way that they've managed to get that whole program to come together. Yeah. Where the girls so are so supportive. Too. So and, quick. Yeah. Well, they all love um, each other's music. They, and they're, it's right. basically what it looks like to me, what it feels like to me is, and just watching the, uh, you know, watching them perform it and everything and listen to the CD and stuff like that. It's just like they all care about each other. And they're, totally. and, and, and that's, and they're young, you know. And that's something where it, it's very easy to become jaded in this town. It's very easy to become uh, not ultra either. competitive. Totally not You're not like, jaded you know, at all. Like not ultra all. competitive or some bullshit, you know, where it's just like, right. you know, the all in this together sort of thing becomes even fake, you know, like, or whatever. But like, the, yeah, it was, it was that. That program is specifically really beautiful in that way. Where it's, right. It's not that way. You know, it's not fake it's not bullshit it's these kids are just coming together and writing and the, the joy you can feel it you know you can it radiates you can and and that's something that yeah if we lose that in nashville we're screwed <laughs> yeah and i think we all had those like you said you had that experience with that uh i guess he was a producer that took you under his wing right yeah producer engineer yeah producer yeah. engineer we had that as kids uh, the first three records we made were made with uh, very very much older people that were in the music business uh, james carter uh, made our first or our what first three records. first three records with him and you know he he works for like steve miller band now he's like a dude in the business he, he's right. out there doing stuff but he just literally he introduced wanted... us to cowboy jack clement and like who well we didn't oh. meet him professionally yeah but he but worked he, he told worked... us about him and shit and he used to work with recorded Mel in the studio yeah, i know yeah. and now yeah and, and now, now, he's, yeah, now him, it's so all it like full <laughs> circle but he donated days out of his week to let us use his home studio and the amount of money, I mean, it wasn't even money that we gave the guy. I mean, he essentially shook us down for like a pack of cigarettes or something. You yeah. Know what I mean, it was. He told us about, he told me about John Steinbeck and like oh. the, the things like that, I mean, to me are like so invaluable. And that's the kind of thing where when Georgia told me about the idea for Girls Right Nashville, I was like, you have to do that because the, the, we've all had those the opportunities. Feeling, yeah, the we've feeling that you get at a young age like that to go and record somewhere with somebody that feels, you know, genuine and 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 wants wants to do something good right. is can last until I mean I'm 27 now, you know, right. that's lasted me like from <laughs> the age of 15 to now, just on that feeling alone, you know, of being able to go in and and having the respect of of a, an adult. Right, as a kid, and be like, "You guys are cool. Like, let's hang out." You know, that's the kind of thing where I think she's winning in that respect. She absolutely, yeah. like, very much is yeah. of the 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 respect of the where they're at with age wise sort of thing, but also the empowerment side of it of sure. just treating it as an equal and just letting them do their own thing and move forward with it. It's, yeah. It's fucking awesome. It's impressive. It's really <laughs> yeah. impressive. Sure. So, so you do plenty of stuff. What's what's something that you've worked on? What What do you think you're so far? Like, what's the crown and your and your the jewel in your crown that you're just like, listen, I got to do this. You know, big or small, it doesn't matter. But I got to do this, and I think this is something I'd like to do more of this. It's so. That's one of those things that's so interesting because, like, the biggest budget things that I've worked on, kind of thing, like the like the big name dropper kind of stuff. Sure, sure, but that um, that may not be what you. It is, oftentimes, is not that pleasurable. Yeah, <laughs> like it's just not that. So there was. Um, if you don't say our record, I'm gonna fire you. But whatever. I mean, it's, I'm getting to that. Um, <laughs> fire you from what? <laughs> but I, um, there was a thing I did while I was uh, still working at Sound Emporium, 
um, it's a band called the Granny Whites. I was gonna say local band. Um, Whoa. Nobody, you know, at the, I mean, nobody would have known them at the time. But Juanita found them. It was an all-girl band, and um, she thought they were great. Brought them in for two days, and you know, we did a record. And um, was that not Daphne? Yeah, it was, was going to say it's Daphne. Okay, yeah. yeah I was going to say, it was, it was Daphne before, you know. Right. Yeah, I was about like to say, that's solo Daphne. sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. I just don't um, want to be either wrong. You know? Yeah, no, no. Um, but, so we go in to do that, and I mean, it's the sort of thing, there's no budget for it kind of thing. Like, I mean, just, there's next to no money. Right. Um, and they came in and, like, kind of looked at me, and were sort of like, ah, like, I don't know, you know, I mean, some weird bearded dude sort of thing. <laughs> this and fucking guy. You know, all-girl group, and, you know. Most of them are lesbians, and, like, it's... So I was definite outsider on that. By the time those two days were over, at the end of that record, we literally were standing in the parking lot, like, hugging each other, crying. Yeah. yeah. Of, you know... Because it's, it's a super emotionally bonding experience. Um, and so it's... You know, I mean, we got a record out of the deal kind of thing. It's, um, it's not even that the record was that spectacular sort of thing, but the experience of doing it like being in the room and having a connection with those people sure. in that time was very, very special. Um, and I think a lot of the time, like a lower budget project sort of thing can very much do that where the emotional involvement in it is so significant. Um, and everyone in the room is like just completely bathed in the experience of that, that nothing else in the world matters except for that moment and being there it is a huge thing. Um, yeah, and I think that's something that, like, you know, we, we, I mean, I'm, I mean, I feel like we experienced we that did. with you. And I think right. that, and, and, but we've always experienced that in a, in a way. I feel like well, there's recording, always been a recording thing. for us personally is always an emotional experience because right. you're out there, it's very, it's be, it's, right. it's there's thing. no money involved. So it's like, but the anxiety I, being taken away, like we described earlier with, uh, just how comfortable the studio was from the moment we walked in yeah. all that anxiety being taken away and just learning to trust not just you but i mean john wood was a tremendous i mean everybody did everything right. that they could and everything everybody had great ideas but i specifically john wood's ideas on the spot in the studio because we hadn't worked with right. him as closely as everybody else right a lot of the things he was saying were very new to us mm-hmm him communicating with you through the glass and, and us not having to make a decision. You know, it's just like, we trust that sound. Yes, awesome. Let's just fucking, but you know, it's... that's a crazy feeling to just be like, you guys just made a decision about this song that's, you know, okay. Like that's, it's just, it's a weird thing. You it's get, a very You become weird family, thing. but I think the family dynamic, I, I, what I was going to say is I found right. it interesting, like, pretty quiet guy like we you know yeah you don't this talk, is weird which yeah, is yeah. always ironic that i was a communications yeah. major in you don't you don't talk very very much and, no. and 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 it took being in the studio really to get to know you as 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 much as we did but i i find it very uh comforting as another human to watch somebody right. like get like base kind of a lot of uh decisions on the idea of like the humanistic um, feeling of right. what that means, you know, and it's hard to describe. Maybe, it, it's, but it's that fe- it's that connection thing that is doing it, you know, very much so. And yeah. I mean, it's to a point of like, I think it's I mean the same appeal that like certain people have for like going to church or something. I agree. Of that, it's the sort of thing of we as humans have to be so guarded in so many situations, and it's societally and especially in our you know sort of american thing it's not 
wise even to open yourself up emotionally to people in that sort of way. Right. And so to have an experience that can last for days where everyone is opened up and completely vulnerable and just functioning on that sort of level is a heavy sort of thing. Um, Like those kind of days are like you come home from that and are just completely exhausted. I mean, it's euphoric. It's like, uh, yeah, it Mm. takes all of your energy, you know, just absolutely. And it's amazing. It's an amazing feeling. I miss, I miss those four days all the time. Oh yeah. I I do. Because we had a, we had a really, really good time. We had a really good time doing it. But it's, and it is, and I mean, and you seek that sort of thing out and it's, I mean, that doesn't happen all the time. Right. Like, I mean, it's, it's a, Sound Emporium is a beautiful room. Like, it's one of those things I've, I say it all the time. It's like, the, if, if you're not getting great tracks there, it's not the room's fault. Yeah. Um, but not everything that goes through those doors is going to have that same kind of result. Right. Um, and there's definitely times where it's, you know, people are not as emotionally involved in it sort of thing. And it's, I mean, that was what was great about doing big country sessions is, you just whip through it. Like, I mean, right. you, you don't have to think about it. I'm just running pro tools. Yeah. Um, and so it's just, you get to hone the technical side of it for sure, but you don't have to worry about the emotional aspects of it because it's tractor songs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the I emotional just, side of it. So that's the fulfillment. It is. But you don't think and tractor songs are deep. <laughs> they can be bro. Yeah. They dig deep. Get it. Yeah. That was pretty they, good. yeah okay. They, yeah. Um, oh, I've got a great one of those. Like a story about that, I, I should tell but can't. <laughs> you can tell us when the mics are off. When the mics are off, I want to hear the I real shit. There's a couple of good ones that, yeah, it's like I know I shouldn't. I'm so used to not trying to do that. Um, yeah. So any, do we have any? So we're I'm looking at the clock, and we're we're. I could do this for fucking nine hours. Oh, that's amazing. I'm sorry, man. Yeah. Don't, why is it your fault? I think yeah. it's me. I've just I've decided to cut loose and have a good time talking to you because I, I don't. If there's anything you need to focus on, we can kind of. Um, I do, I do want to make sure that we don't, that we don't leave anything uncovered. I mean, the main reason for bringing you in and wanting to talk to you is that we had just what we just talked about. We had such a good experience recording with you because I just feel like everything was handled and we really just got to be ourselves in this space that you understood. You understood the space so well that there was just no fucking problems. I mean, most of the time when you make records, there's something that, you know, it's life. Everything, something goes wrong no matter what. There's going to be problems. But dude, we we had four days and no fucking problems. Like we got away with it. I'm sure that I don't know what happened right afterwards that I paid for it. You know, some sort of <laughs> karmic system. But I, you know, those. It was such a good experience. And then the girls' right thing being new and fresh, and the experience that they all had. I just think there's something special about the way that you run a room, and I I like it. I, I think that it's... if more people could see the way that the Sound Emporium is set up and run, and the freedom that you could have in a room to be your creative self without any sort of anxiety or anything lingering, you end up getting something that it may not be, who knows how good anything is, but it's fucking, it's exactly how I would have done it. Right. Nothing got in the way of me doing what I wanted to do. The interesting thing with that and something I would stress with it is that not every session that happens at Sound Emporium is like that. Exactly. Um, And it's, I, I struggle with the trying to pat myself on the back for things. But so much of it is the interpersonal relationship with it right. of letting things happen the way it does. Sure. Find um, an engineer and a producer that you can really trust and then let them do what you've hired them to do. You right. know? And it, it solves so many problems and, and other headaches. I don't think we could have gotten – I mean, I'm so happy with what we got. The record that we oh, have, sure. I'm so happy with it. Um, but I don't think we could have gotten there if we would have been worried about any of the number – Like, who knows how many things got handled that we didn't even have to worry about. 
Because that's, you know, I mean, there's definitely stuff that's happening on the other side of the glass that I'm sweating. Sure. Of, like, as it's going on, there's the complete technical side of stuff. Sure. And, like, where I'm fighting through stuff and, you know, you can hear me cursing in there sort of thing. Like, probably in room mics of just, you know. <laughs> but, like, it's, but the idea is to offer an experience where you don't feel any of that. Mm-hmm. So it's when you come back in, it's just letting you be in the music. Um, which is an incredible personal toll on myself. I was about to say, you're bottling up all the feelings of this <laughs> um, session. Um, it, it's, I was going to say, that is the thing that, like, it's you're so involved in it sort of thing, but you can't let any of that show. Right. And so it's, the console could literally be on fire, which I've had happen. <laughs> <laughs> and you can't let anyone in the room know that that's going on and that that's happening. Yeah. Um, and not in a deceptive sort of way, but it's just everything you're doing is okay. The technical side of stuff has to be. There's no need to anybody else to worry about this because you can't solve these problems anyway. This is on me. Right. But uh, that's, I think there's a lot to be said for that of just the letting everyone have the emotional connection mm-hmm. to the music and not pulling them out of that. Sure. Because um, I mean, it's, I kind of equate it to like if you go to the movies and like you're immersed in something and then somebody starts talking and like it completely pulls you out of it and then it's really hard to go back into it yeah um the thing that i pride myself in more than anything else in engineering like i mean if something sounds great like i always want things to sound good like that's a focus but it's more the being able to live in it and because honestly if we capture a beautiful take and a microphone was kind of in the wrong spot sort of thing it it means so much more to have the good take and not have stopped the flow of the room that it means to have that sound just a little bit better. Right. Um, which is, you know, heresy in my field of work to say that the sound doesn't matter, but it doesn't like, I mean, it's the, the emotional feeling that's in the record is the thing that comes across Yeah. and was what, you know, earlier kind of what we tied back into all of it, that it's, it's completely about communication, trust and, capturing what was going on in the room as opposed to all of the other technical stuff that you can worry about oh my god this is how he sold us he sat at a d- like table at a restaurant he said all this stuff and i was like well fine you can do it <laughs> you sound fine you just fine you can have you can do the record um i couldn't be happier with the way that it turned out i couldn't be happier with the way the girls right thing is going i couldn't be happier with all of these other projects that you're involved in and things to come what do you have coming up you're gin star cynic if i'm not so wrong gin star cynic and i have been talking about doing an ep for a long time um so that's going to be happening here in the not too distant future you guys know who gin star cynic is she's been on the podcast you probably know her from life she's a part of girls right oh my god she's she, she plays her. fiddle for us. She plays fiddle for us. Or with us, not for us. Is she here? Oh, She's probably us. here. She may actually be. There's a Subaru Outback back somewhere. There. So you got Jen coming up. What else? Uh, what, what's coming up. coming up else? Um, what else? What else is coming up? Uh, still finishing up a great project for a bluegrass band called Nefesh Mountain. Mm, yes, um, you've been mixing that for a minute. You were mixing that a minute ago. I, heard, I was going to say it's kind of been an off and on yeah. sort of thing that we tracked a whole bunch of stuff back in uh, January, and I'm still kind of working through it, but. Um, we're super talented husband wife duo that writes some great stuff with just bluegrass all-star list of um jerry douglas and sam bush and uh tony trishka playing banjo on it oh wow and so i mean like just that's a win-win-win pleasure <laughs> working on that stuff it's great the um that's another okay like that that's one i can say like from from nefesh when they're doing the nefesh sessions and like jerry douglas walks in and sits down and like you record him and he comes in and like pat you on the shoulder and it's like sounds great and it's like you go thanks dad yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, 
like, Jerry's great, you know. I sure. Mean, we just watched a just video of him playing on Facebook records, Live yeah. with just his upright um, bass player. It was nuts. But it's and you know I mean like uh, a couple years ago I did a record for Sam Bush. Yeah. And like Sam is just like has stories for days and days and days about everyone and everything and it's fantastic like working with him but like you know sam knows and has played with everyone so like on his record like amy lou harris came in one day and sang that's great and you know <laughs> like allison krauss comes in and sings and like allison krauss was actually like in awe of sam bush where she's like nervous to like be singing for sam wow um which it, it's in but it's Everybody's all just people. Yes, like, that's mean, the it, best yeah. thing about it, isn't it? That like, somebody else is nervous, just like yeah. me. <laughs> Jesus, thank yeah. you. No, but like all of those people get nerves, and just yeah, it, it's. But when it comes down to it, they're just humans. Yeah, right. And so I think that's the big thing that Sound Emporium was good at was that it's people are able to come in and just chill the fuck forget out. about the fact that. I'm Jerry Douglas or I'm Sam Bush or whoever. Yeah, I'm just in and this room with these cool yeah. people and we're going to get some stuff handled. And so you just, you get to connect with the music and focus on it. And that's that's the beauty of the whole thing. Wow. Yeah. I thank you so much for coming and doing this. I, I don't know what we accomplished, but I feel great about it. I feel like I know you better, which is what we were after. We were definitely <laughs> after trying to get to know you better. Absolutely. Uh, we'll turn these mics off and then we'll put on some metal records. I got some Pantera. You know, we'll, it'll be great. <laughs> Can I put in a vote for Sepultura? Okay, fine. Sepultura, and then Sepultura we'll go to Mastodon, and then uh, we'll go back to Sabbath <laughs> '74. That's a great, great record. Um, it is good stuff. It is good stuff. Um, that's it. That's that's it, guys. That's Tied Adam together Taylor again. Sepultura doing Symptom of the Universe. So shit. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Symptom of the Universe. Check it out. <laughs> Sepultura. It's gonna be great. Um, and folk music. And folk. Yeah. Obviously folk music. <laughs> Goodbye. And that's it. That's Adam. We had a really good time talking with him. I'm gonna thank him for coming by. I also want to stress that we have a release show coming up Monday the 28th at the Family Wash. The information is online. It's on the Facebooks. The album comes out the 25th. Please go pick yourself up a copy. I think you'll really enjoy it. We worked really hard on it. Adam worked really hard on it. And now, here's some other music Adam worked really hard on. This is Killing of Troy's California. If we are going down If we are going down If we are Let's go down in California The sun may come up in the east But it always goes down in the west Out on the Pacific Where the redwoods 